0: i have a lot of problems going through some things i'm hurt am i dying can you tell me that i can't tell you you can't tell me no no you can't tell me if you can't tell me no i'm lonely yes and i'm afraid i'm gonna die anything else i don't know what's wrong with me and i want to do
1: something important while i'm still here that would be the time to do it yes duncan as if we didn't get enough Charlie Kaufman existential angst in one episode. We're going back for a second helping,
0: and it will be a full serving. Bring the family around the dinner table. I am a maggot-ridden pig named Duncan.
1: <laughs> Duncan, that's who I was gonna pick. You told oh, me to pick I a character, it. and I was gonna say, "Why, well, Ryan, aka the pig with maggots in its belly?" Then I'll be the mechanical Japanese sex robot. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat i like how neither of us are actually humans
0: (laughs) (laughs) human is relative in the world of charlie it's national mental health day and we're gonna go over the beautiful mind wink wink of a man obsessed with his own morality and the very troubled mind of others it's charlie kaufman part
1: you're a glutton for punishment we're a glutton for our egos it's time for hardly the hottest podcast Ryan what's that dunks
0: I've got a big secret <laughs> yeah, I could only imagine uh I did something for the first time in seven and a half months
1: this is disquiety. what do you think it is I don't know <laughs> I don't want to guess I'm scared I'm gnawing my hand the way you nod and I'm thinking of any things. I went to a movie theater and saw a film you dog
0: I put on that mask sanitize those hands and with one and a half other people one person left within the first hour i saw tenant on the
1: big screen wow man i uh movie theaters are dead and gone a thing of the past tumbleweeds flying past us here in new mexico so i they're not even open so yeah i'm interested what's a give me a give me a takeaway give me an impression i think it's nolan's least
0: well-reviewed film by the critics or the fans. I mean, this is... I believe that's true. Yeah, this is a mind trip where you're playing catch-up. You know, I went in going, knowing nothing except that uh, Robert Pattinson was in it, John David Washington, as Ryan likes to call Baby Denzel, uh, was in there, and that there was a sexy-looking scene on a boat. So, you know, I am preaching against trailers. There was 30 minutes of trailers before the film even started. I usually like to show up late to avoid that. This one, maybe you need to know what's going on because, well, no, I knew what was going on and I still had no idea what was going on. This one's (laughs) tough. This is a multiple viewer, But, you know, just like that sort of hotel hallway scene in Inception, you have no idea how they're doing, what they're doing in front of you, and you're just hypnotized by the action. Uh, there's some unique stuff in this film, but this film just didn't seem to have the emotional core.
1: They say that's what my my brother saw it, and that was kind of his takeaway. He saw thought it was a lot to think about. It was compelling intellectually, you know, well put together story. Visuals were creative and brilliant. But he said the emotional core is what was lacking.
0: Yeah, but speaking of that vast mental maze of a landscape, let's get back on track and talk about our boy Charlie. Death comes faster than you think. The idea is to do a massive theater piece. What was this used for?
1: Plays. Like theater plays? Have I disappointed you somehow? Everyone is disappointing. The more you know someone. I don't know what I'm doing. Knowing that you don't know is the most essential step to knowing, you know? We're going to start with Synecdoche. And I believe this has been not only... One of our favorite Kaufman's for both of us, but also top ten for you. Crack the old top ten all time list. It's up there. I say the rumors abound at this point. I
0: was on board from the very beginning. Uh, when we're seeing great artists are still humbled by the need to wipe their little kids' butt, I'm laughing.
1: This worked on multiple levels for me. Going into Kaufman's directoral and writing films, where he does both. You really get unfiltered Charlie. And this is the beginning. Uh, this thing is big, it's bold, it's sprawling, and it's about everything. So if you haven't seen
0: it, uh, we'll just pull quotes from the film itself or what it's all about. As Cotard, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, says, A massive theater piece, uncompromisingly honest. It's the beginning of thought, the truth not yet spoken. Feels like getting cold clocked in the jaw. It's love and all its messiness. I want all of us to soak in the communal bath of it. We're in the same water after all, soaking in our menstrual blood, our nocturnal emissions.
1: That's going to help with your mental health.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Wait, so are we, we have, helping or hurting on mental health day?
0: We got to take it down, build it back up. So yeah, the film takes place over 50 years. There are 80 speaking parts, 200 scenes,
1: Quite a lot of, for Charlie to bite off in his directorial debut, but he pulls it off. Yeah, um, man, it just there's so much to unpack here. It almost feels overwhelming at the outset as we sit here uh, on the precipice. So uh, where do we want to start here, Dunks? Human existence, where, where, where do you start? So you brought up pacing. Did you think it was fast or slow? Um, so I felt like he kind of had to get on its wavelength of what it wanted to pay attention to. And then once you do that, it's, yeah, it's just just so much to unpack. As we were saying in the previous Charlie episode,
0: there's always like a keyword or a thesis. Um, We have two, no, we have three keywords for synecdoche. So there is the term synecdoche, which means a figure of speech in which a term for a part of something refers to the whole of something or vice versa. So there we have the film title, Synecdoche, New York, which takes place in the city, Synecdoche, New York. We also have psychosis, which is crazy, and psychosis, which is a skin disease. And as his little daughter, Olive, says to Katard, "Um, could you have both? I could,
1: but I don't. And that's like what Charlie's playing with this uh, whole film. Perceptions versus reality versus how much is outside of our control uh, and how we try to understand those things and it does kind of feel like you're saying the same word and it means two different things. Hence why he's trying to create a world within a world, which then necessitates he creates the world within the world within the world. Within the world within the world. I mean yeah. he makes he makes Christopher Nolan look like a hack in Inception. He was only what three dreams deep.
0: Yeah. This is infinite. So another we have the main character Caden katard played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, a small town director who gets a genius grant. And moved to New York City to create this massive theater piece. Um, but we have Qatard's Delusion, uh, which is a belief that you are dead, do not exist, are putrefying, or have lost your blood and internal organs. So every five minutes, Cotard gets some new ailment. Like Ryan was saying, his teeth are rotting, his tear ducts are out of whack. He, he can't that was a great food. bit he
1: can't cry
0: <laughs> yes that was one of my top five bits that was such a great bit oh that was really good i think crying is the funniest thing that an actor can do um well for comedic effect and then also the the third keyword here is capgrass dilution uh, which is the name on his ex-wife's apartment ex-wife being uh katherine keener playing adele lack Capgras delusion is the delusion that a friend, spouse, parent, or other close family member has been replaced
1: by an identical imposter. It's delusions. It's imposters. It's the same thing, meaning something different, but sounding the same. It's all imitation. It's all recreation or it's all uh, misplaced understanding. So it's just, it's rife within the film. I like how we're, uh, we're basically just, like philosophy 101 trying to just set up this movie.
0: <laughs> just just for the setup. Maybe except for I'm thinking of any things. I think all of Kaufman's films work at sort of a surface level of amusement. Like, here's a big idea that's fun to play with. And then also has layers. I was just embracing the dark humor and going along for the ride. But then I watched it again the next day and was getting all the small details. Like, the screen is packed with little visual cues there's so many throwaway lines that are brilliant on their own.
1: Like, woo, yeah. But we're, (laughs) (laughs) I know it's like, like I'm saying, wherever you begin, it's like, you're trying to, uh, trying to entangle an infinite knot. I do feel like when Kaufman gets the helm of his own stuff, there's just a distinct difference between this. And I'm thinking of ending things and the other films, the other films feel a little more, like you said, kind of constrained. There's a, a, baseline entertainment. It's a little less of a buy-in, but when it's him, it's just like you either are going to buy in and you're going to buy into the psychotic existential exploration, or you're going to either be bored or very confused.
0: Yeah. So you can enjoy this as a pitch black comedy and just have faith. I mean, at the end there is the character, a pastor who just basically lays out the entire meaning of the film, which is, you can't delay happiness, I'm not trying to say that in sort of you know the bougie self-help way, but if you're like, "I will be happy when I get this. I will be happy when I get this relationship, this career advancement, this something else." What is it? The, the hedonic treadmill was the term like you're never going to be happy if you're always looking ahead. Enjoy the moment." And this one just time slips away. You don't really notice it as a viewer. Um, for example, the first like five minutes of the film, I think we advance two months. Whether it's like a cue of the newscaster on the radio, a newspaper, the expiration date of milk, a calendar in the background—like time just flies by you if you're not aware of what's going on around you until you're a seventy-year-old man dying. Am I giving away the ending? If the <laughs> film lasts fifty years, you're gonna die.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of my favorite creative uh, touches of Kaufman's is. How uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's guitar is just as disoriented by how fast time is going and is just as much behind what's going on and playing catch up in his own personal life as we are watching it. And I think that's just a, a really poignant touch because we all have experienced that where time feels like it gets away or something really important that has stayed important in our hearts or in our uh, love. Um, still manages to somehow slip through our fingers through no perceived negligence on our part. And so I think that's just really, really well done. I love how a relationship leaves. He thinks that relationship's been gone for a month and it's been a year. And we as viewers have no more idea than he does. Charlie can work with some great actresses.
0: We have Samantha Morton playing Hazel, um, a theater assistant, which becomes his personal assistant, Catherine Kinnear, playing Adele Lack, his art wife. We have Michelle Williams playing Claire Keene, his um, muse and lead actress to a point. And then Jennifer Jason Lee. And then we also have Emily Watson playing a version of Samantha Morton. Play within a play cycle. But his relationships, whoever he's with, he always wants to be with someone else. He's never yeah. happy with the one he has until, you know, romanticizes the lost opportunity
1: you bringing up that pastor's monologue kind of halfway through is a good anchor to kind of help approach this film because I really feel like that is the thesis. If you're feeling disoriented, confused, maybe you're not on the film's wavelength. When you get there, at least you're understanding what Charlie's trying to do. And from there, you're either on board or not with whether it resonates or it is poignant or moving to you. But I think that that is an important kind of through line halfway through where he kind of throws you Collage of ideas that are driving this film. He kind of throws it at you, and kind of gives you that to hold on to as he takes you in to the final half of the film. I'm overwhelmed by our notes, let alone the movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, the script is available online, so yeah, you can have the fun, emotional experience, black comedy, watch it, or you can dig deep. Um, we're talking about time passing you by, losing opportunities, perfectionism is ruining your existence, trying to recreate every moment until it's just right. You can just
1: spin into that cycle of madness. To kind of get a grasp on this film, because again, this film really is about everything. But I feel like this film, Kaufman is attempting to, to depict the creative process of how, in this case, a filmmaker tries to take the totality, overwhelming reality in front of him and then depict or illuminate it completely honestly and as comprehensively as he can, which is by nature impossible but it's so big and ambitious in that and how we all end up doing that with our lives in one way or another. Uh, I'm trying to think like you're saying, uh. (laughs) (laughs) well, it's like, so for instance, his character, Katar, he wants to portray the brutal, real truth of life through his art. But to do that, to really portray it accurately, he literally has to create a carbon copy of the world around him as he experiences it which then becomes an infinite loop, a mirror within a mirror, where, like we talked about, the image just keeps getting smaller, which also goes into Adele's paintings, as the painting she does gets smaller and smaller. So the more we try to capture the immensity of life, the smaller our grasp is, which is like this paradox.
0: He is so in his own head, literally like directing his life the day after, redirecting the day before, he is unaware that the world is falling apart around him. There's an apocalypse. There's a twenty like year delay, and eventually that apocalypse comes back into his warehouse, within a warehouse, within a warehouse.
1: But yeah, seeing the big picture, seeing the small picture, yeah, you get these hints of there's like this social brain, or yeah, apocalypse going on. But then life just continues on and and in the real life, not in his play, in his warehouse. And I thought that was interesting that he kind of brought that up, but then he just kind of let it go after bringing it up.
0: Yeah. So, you know, he wants to like create this truth, but is he really living his life? When I first got into theater acting and directing, it was, you know, I thought my life was dull, certainly holding back emotions and personal life. But then in theater, you had a chance to live it out. And you certainly see he's trying to direct other people's lives in the play ended in his own world. And he's constantly th- saying things like,
1: how am I supposed to react with that? Just tell me what to do. Yeah. And I think uh, you really hit on something there because Katar constantly is saying, I think I know how to end the play now, or I know what to do with the play now over and over. So it is that infinite directing. And, and that's how the movie ends. Even <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to unpack. Charlie does a better job at laying the setting the table for
0: you and letting you feast on it than we have. Hopefully, our passion's coming through, and that's inspiring you to
1: see it. Should we go into similar films for fans of? Uh, I do want to mention I do enjoy uh the absurdity of this film, which was really Kafka-esque to me. Just if you've read The Metamorphosis, the idea is like the emotions and the humanity is very real. And then all these surreal things are happening, like Hazel's house is on fire. You mentioned the apocalypse going on outside the warehouse that seems to not affect anyone's life and their day to day beyond madness that's around them when they're walking through it. Those kind of tools, like Kafka's writing, really highlight just things in our lives and our spirits that we don't see as clearly when it's put against the mundane or the everyday or the routine or the things that numb us or kind of just kind of dull us. And so I think that those things are used to great effect here. And it just really reminded me of that. And that wasn't my observation. I heard someone else compare this movie to Kafka. I just thought that was really apt. And I thought that really uh, made a lot of sense to me. I mean, Hazel is reading Kafka in at one point in the film. But
0: yeah, you brought up the burning house. That's, I think, my favorite bit. She is purchasing a smoldering home.
1: It's a scary decision.
0: I, I never thought I'd buy a house alone. But you know, I'm 36 and I... I wonder what it is I'm waiting for. Home buying is always scary, <laughs> and with the fire and all, especially. It's well, a good size though—twenty-two hundred square feet, not including the partially finished basement. Oh, I don't know. I'm thinking I should go. You know, it's a perfect size for someone alone. I like it. I, I do. I'm, I'm just really concerned about dying in the fire. <laughs> a big decision
1: how one prefers to die that is hands down my favorite line in the movie i laughed so hard when she said that <laughs> there's a lot of good lines though oh yes but i think the the burning house is the perfect metaphor
0: there's there's a few different lines that refer or compare homes to bodies but it's like why would you buy a house that's going to burn down in 50 years why would you live your life when you know your body's going to break down in 50 years those cold realities got to enjoy it while you can before it's a maggot infested pig.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's kind of how this whole movie is right. Like everything that happens matters, but also seems so futile and mundane. And I think it is, it's like the paradox of everything is futile, but then through that futility, there's this great beauty and there's this great significance to us personally, even though it's not fulfilling and it's haunting Uh, or if you have it, it, Drains away. And I think it's that paradox at the center of the film that Charlie is really trying to wrestle with. And I think that is, you know, the paradox that so many people, uh, if they think about their lives, you know, it's a life that's ultimately unsatisfying. And yet uh, we have these feelings that something should be able to satisfy us. I think that is what makes this movie so uh, relatable and what it makes it so beautiful and really just brilliant. So yeah, we'll say Four Fans Of. We mentioned it before.
0: Kaufman's got some parallels to one. So here it would be Inception, the world within the world
1: within the world. I liked the, uh, you said a serious man, I noticed. Kaufman is more dark in his humor where the Coens are a little more, uh, slapstick's the wrong word. What's the word I'm looking for? Raising right? Arizona is pure slapstick. Yeah, but I'm thinking like in serious man, it's more of a, yeah, dry maybe is a good way to put it. Yeah, but if we're going into
0: director's On film or theater, sort of life spinning out of control, you can go with eight and a half or Birdman. But Duncan, I I just feel like for potential
1: top 10, I really want to let you give this film its due.
0: When I was watching the bonus features, there was a roundtable of about five critics. And they were saying, without exaggeration, that they had to drink by themselves for a few hours. They were depressed for a week. I was screaming from laughter. I thought this was hilarious. Um, Just going back and like reading quotes from the film, I was laughing, you know, remembering them a few weeks later. I mean, it's hilarious. And it's also incredibly deep. God, I loved it, baby.
1: Yeah, I mean, you gotta you laugh or you cry, right? Those are the two options. You laugh or you cry. I did both. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was good. I, I remember having seen this a long time ago, and I think a lot of it just went over my head, but this time I felt like I had a little a little better, uh, or felt a little more uh, prepared and a little had the tools to to appreciate it more. So yeah, it was really good. Woo! So Duncan from Synecdoche, we went to Anomalisa.
0: Remember, there is someone out there for everyone. You're extraordinary. Why? I don't know. Yeah, it's just obvious to me that you are. Our time is limited. We forget that there was a seven-year gap in between Sinecty and Anomalisa. He wrote two TV pilots. Neither of them got picked up. Was a writer for hire. Wrote multiple scripts, but nothing produced. And I was just saying, like one of my, you know, the favorite opening of to New York, even if you're a great world-renowned artist, you still gotta wipe your kid's butt. Like it's it's humbling to get work
1: done. Like that struggle is never over. He should have just started writing about how he can't get any of his TV pilots written. (laughs) Create his own little warehouse. That would be going back to adaptation. (laughs) The struggling writer. Yeah, this movie, I think, you know, it's it's puppets, which I think I'm fine with. It was a strange spirit to the film just from like watching how like you mentioned like there's that line to the puppet's face which is just distracting but obviously intentional so i was i don't know i was wondering if you had any ideas of why that was that stop
0: motion puppetry uh it's i mean this feels more like an experimental film than i don't know if i'm cutting them some slack or making some excuses i mean i think plenty of people enjoy this film uh i just don't think it's as as great as his other work. but um, So it started as a sound play for Carter Burwell, who does uh, many Coen Brother scores. Once again, let's open up our DSM Mental Health Dictionary. How many of these do we have? Have we Uh-oh. diagnosed ourselves? Um, I don't know. I'm not scared of my rotting body.
1: It's going to uh, happen. The maggot-infested pig.
0: <laughs> you know, as I was thinking, watching these Charlie films, I think some of the first uh, existential... Philosophy I got was Ivan Drago from Rocky Four. If he dies, he dies. Just got to <laughs> accept it. Getting back to the DSM, we have in this film we got the Frigoli delusion, the name of the hotel, and I think Charlie's original pen name for the script. Frigoli delusion is a rare disorder in which a person holds a delusional belief that different people are in fact a single person who changes appearances or in disguise. And so, how do you tell this story? I mean, it worked as a stage play. We had Tom Noonan, who was also great in uh, Synecdoche, New York, plays every other character besides David Thewlis playing Michael Stone. Thewlis comes back in our next film we'll talk about, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And Jennifer Jason Lee playing Lisa Hessman was also wonderful in Synecdoche, New York. So there's a love interest between them, and every single other character is voiced by Tom Noonan. So unless you're throwing down a couple hundred million dollars to make this like the Malkovich Malkovich scene in being John Malkovich, I think you can pull it off either with animation or with puppetry. And so they went with puppetry. You know, with stop motion, I know that they have like separate mouths and eyes and noses that they sort of create for each facial expression. But for here, there's a line directly through the face, which is sort of referenced with a different um, character, the Japanese sex robot, which I mentioned earlier. Your Charlie Kaufman doppelganger. Oh, yeah. Or my shadow self, which is the whole other thing we didn't bring up in Synecdody.
1: And I think New York is kind of like a Pandora's box. If you open it, you're just you're just been days.
0: Everything is in there. I think for us, the, the execution of it was, was just a little bit jarring. But basically, you know, the conceit that you're going to put all your happiness in one person who you feel is the only true voice you've ever heard, love at first sight, and then in the next morning, you see the way they eat eggs, and you are just (laughs) disgusted with this human being and never want to see them again.
1: Yeah, Uh. I, I think my one thought is I do love, like you said, the conceit at the heart of this film. I think we all suffer or choose the... Prideful delusion of we're different. We're not like everybody else. Everybody else is all the same. And, you know, that makes you feel isolated and lonely, disillusioned, jaded. And then when you meet someone who feels special, they're a unique voice, they're a unique sound. And so I think that idea through the puppets is really beautifully portrayed. And then to have that all come crashing down uh, and have that person return to the sea of faces, uh, which was always around you, which you could not connect to. I think that is uh, really great. I really enjoyed that. I guess I just did not connect to the characters as much. I didn't think it was his more interesting work. And I'm not going to lie, the puppet sex threw me. I was not <laughs> ready for puppet sex.
0: Ryan's a prude. But yeah, so we have the recurring themes of the <laughs> fantasy of the person you're with versus the reality puppets, you know, whether it's literal puppets in this film and being John Malkovich or you living your life through someone else vicariously in Schenectady, New York. But, you know, once again, you know, this started out as a Kickstarter to raise some funds. And then his buddy Dino Stamatopoulos, who he met on Dana Carvey's show, who was Starburns on Community and I think has worked on Moral Oral, uh, who's co-directed with Duke Johnson. I mean, it's, it's an experiment. I'm not holding it against him
1: If you go into it knowing it's an experiment And you're a Kaufman completist It will not disappoint you in that But Duncan, moving on To I'm Thinking of Ending Things His most recent film Jake,
0: my boyfriend It's snowing Winter is coming We have a real connection A rare and intense attachment I've never experienced anything like it I'm thinking of ending
1: things. Huh? What? Did you say something?
0: I don't think so.
1: Weird. Lucy is played by Jesse Buckley, who is a new red hot talent in Hollywood. She's popping up everywhere. Um, Recently, I'm watching Fargo season four. She's in that. Jesse Plemons plays her boyfriend. And it's gonna get weird. You had a hard time with this one, Duncan. You were texting me while watching this and i I don't know
0: i was a little concerned for you i went into this film knowing that there was a woman sitting in front of interesting wallpaper i had no idea what i was getting into i didn't know charlie could get this dark i was truly biting my hands and (laughs) groaning just to relieve stress
1: because what what's the dsm delusion for that biting your hands to relieve stress
0: i think that's just any caged animal syndrome <laughs> give yourself pain to relieve the greater pain inside no well yeah i was like why haven't there been any animals that have gnawed their arms off in a coffin film having <laughs> flashback to the dead fox saying chaos reigns in von trier's antichrist
1: <laughs> yeah this movie is hence it's confusing it reminded me of a puzzle and you gotta stick with it But I definitely agree with Duncan. I did not know anything going in beyond what I just read to you. Uh, Duncan, this is your PSA. Uh, I feel like you get on the soapbox and rightfully so. Do not watch trailers. Uh, It's better to go in blind and let this movie just mess with your head. Yeah. So once again,
0: classic Kaufman. On the surface level, you'll enjoy it. This one? I don't remember laughing at any point in this film. Maybe just because just nervous tension.
1: Oh my gosh. There was a couple of times Tony Collette cracked me up and David Doolis. The parents cracked me up. I I mean, with the part where the parents wouldn't come downstairs when they first arrived, he's like, mom, dad. It's like, they just don't come downstairs for a really long time.
0: I I was probably too uncomfortable wondering, was the maggot infested pig going to come down those (laughs) stairs? I didn't know what was coming down the stairs. What was coming out of the basement? I, so I think I was just in that fight or flight mode, <laughs> frozen fear.
1: <laughs> and I think you went into fight your own hand. Yes. I feel like one good way to think about this movie, uh, to kind of get a grasp on it, um, is a collage of identity and how our identity really is a mixture of so many different influences. And Duncan, I believe you have, you have a quote for this. Yeah, I couldn't find anything
0: in the DSM manual connection in all my research about this film. <laughs> Collage of identity. Like, are we an individual or are we just regurgitating everything we've seen before us? And I think this comes up perfectly with the film. So we have, it's tragic how few people possess their souls before they die. Nothing is more rare in any man, says Emerson, than an act of his own. And it's quite true. Most people are other people. Their thoughts are someone else's opinions, their lives a mimicry, their passions a quotation. That's an Oscar Wilde quote. So here we have Emerson as quoted by Wilde, as quoted by Lucy, as written by the novelist Ian Reed, then
1: adapted by Charlie Kaufman. I love like Kaufman goes meta and he's mocking or recreating the essence and soul of the quote. In a classic
0: comedic sense, he is making fun of himself before the critics can make fun of him. He's in control of his life. Because he'll tear himself down before you can.
1: We all like to, you know, think we're original, think we're above the influence of other things or people. But I think what this movie shows is, as we delve into the meat of the movie, it just shows how, how all these influences, how all these things from childhood and as we grow up and our hopes and dreams, how it all just melds together to create who we are and what we understand about ourselves or how we perceive ourselves or who we understand ourselves to be uh, and how that could be, I don't know, totally nebulous and maybe outside of our under, even our own understanding. I think he just captures that beautifully here.
0: This is a very talky film, a lot of talking going on. But there's almost like a two or three chapter pulled from a critique of John Cassavetes' A Woman Under Influence. Yeah. So, I mean, we're pulling there. It's film takes place in Oklahoma. There's lots of moments, and I think some scenes pulled from Oklahoma. The entire, like, climax of the film is a
1: quote from another film altogether. Which, did you see when he was asked if they, if they got permission for that? He goes, somebody was supposed to do that. I never checked to see if they did. <laughs> that, was, that was Kaufman's response. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I love best about this movie. As it is tense and confusing, As you buy, once more, like Synecdoche, this movie has its own pacing, its own um, vernacular uh, through images and scenes. And as you buy in, I love how the scenes blend together uh, into a very dreamlike sequence that doesn't really make sense, which is similar to our dreams or our daydreams. It parses out our feelings, the inner workings of our minds, uh, our relived experiences in our heads. that is what Charlie's focusing on here over maybe like a cohesive narrative because that is, in a sense, the narrative. I mean, honestly, it's really ambitious. It's a big, bold move, and I, I loved it. I totally dug it. I, I love that he swung for the fences in that way because it could be potentially very alienating. I think, you know, a lot of the critique of this film is
0: does it stand on its own or do you have to, you know, read the supplemental materials? I mean, I think the best piece of criticism I read was this reads like the footnotes of a college student's first philosophy paper. It's just rapid fire buckshot splattering you with different, with different ideas.
1: I think this movie by the third act, I feel like it gives you enough that things fall into place. And once things fall into place, you can retroactively understand a lot of the other things as long as you're paying attention. And I think that what he's showing is our struggle to really make sense of our own existence in time. And that is our identities in terms of how we understand them. And we're always trying to understand them in a narrative sense. But that really, you know, it is dreamlike. It is confusing. We remember some things we don't remember other things. Some things we remember incorrectly. Uh, but everything has meaning. Everything is an experience that we experienced or something that influenced us. I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this one. The whole like free association kind of identity, picking and choosing what life is or isn't to us and what that makes us. I don't know. I, I bought in. Yeah. So for me, this was a physical experience. This was, you know, we did it in the test episode. We're talking
0: about Green Room. Like I am feeling this film.
1: What have to do with your teeth in your palm?
0: I am feeling this film. Oh, gosh, i was bleeding. I give this film three canine tooth marks in my wrist. I gave this film three fingers, literally. I lost them. This was a physical film, but on its own, I don't know. But, you know, as I'm saying, you know, reading different reviews, reading different interpretations, that certainly enhances it for me. No, I mean, I was... I was lost. I wasn't trying to find my way. I was, I was just a passenger in the backseat of that car. Hey, we're going somewhere. I ain't driving this life, baby. Just take me.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that's, again, the Kafka qualities are way more pronounced here. I think it intentionally confounds before it slowly begins to uh, meld into place certain things. Again, I think uh, what isn't explicable uh, becomes clues. There are explanations. Uh, I think I just love how daring this work is. I feel like Kaufman, like we talked about, there being a seven-year gap in funding uh, for him before he made anomalisa. I feel like he got Netflix's money, he got the company credit card, and he went big. Uh, I love the um, subversion in this film. This movie is such a subversion of what you might expect, even as you're trying to piece it together from the start. Man, I just think it, it's one of the most enjoyable surprises that I've had in a movie in a long time. Ooh, Guy right, likes it. I did. I mean, whew. I like it when established filmmakers really go outside of their wheelhouse or take big chances because I think it's easy to coast. And I love it when artists push themselves or do things that aren't going to make everybody happy because I think through that, uh, you often hit brilliance. And I don't know if this is brilliant, but it's definitely going to make you think. Visually, this
0: was you know completely different from anything Kaufman's directed or the projects he's written for. A much darker tone, really creating atmosphere. Not sure if you know it's a brilliant step forward, but it was certainly, he was getting out of his comfort zone and made me very uncomfortable in the process.
1: Yeah, <laughs> You might want to find a better way to cope with the tense movies, but that's just a friend's opinion. Duncan, you brought up solipsism. Coffin has an incredible ability to show that though we know or believe there is a world outside our heads, is it it is impossible to access. And so I think this is his most uh successful portrayal of that idea through this movie, through these characters, through this story. Yeah. Just living in your own ding-dong
0: head, living in the past, fear in the future. Just chill, baby. Charlie, just just come on over. I'll give you a little back massage. Calm down.
1: You hear that, Charlie? Duncan's, Duncan's hitting on you. You know, no. Man, why not? Who cares? <laughs> All right. For fans of, uh, we have The Shining, we have Hereditary Beast, because that's Jesse Buckley's Film debut. I don't know if it's her actual debut, but that's the first time I ever saw her or heard Me about her. Me too. Yeah, I didn't really? recognize her even. Uh, man, she's really good in Beast. I really enjoyed Beast. Interesting. You have Parasite here. I can see it with the basement. Okay. Just the basement, just
0: the building yeah. tension and what's in that basement.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I gotcha. This
0: film heavily references Oklahoma, A Beautiful Mind, A Woman Under the
1: Influence. There's fake films within the films, there's cartoon pigs. We go there. There's nudity. There's everything. You got it all. I have no understanding of anything outside of my own panic and self-loathing and pathetic little existence. It's like the only thing I'm actually qualified to write about is myself and my own self. We open on Charlie Kaufman. Fat, old, bald. Repulsive. And then Duncan, I guess Charlie's writing
0: something else. Charlie wrote a book. He's putting those thoughts on paper. So that'll help me digest everything a little bit easier. Um, came out over the summer called Antkind. And Antkind is a neurotic failed film critic, B. Rosenberger. Neurotic? No way. <laughs> Get out of here. This is in Charlie's real house. Neurotic failed film critic, B. Rosenberger Rosenberg, stumbles upon what may be the greatest artistic achievement in human history. A three-month-long film, complete with scheduled sleeping, eating, and bathroom breaks, that took its reclusive auteur... A psychotic African American man named Ingo Cutbirth, 90 years to complete. Sounds right as wheelhouse. Very <laughs> Charlie. And he claims that he, he wrote it in a manner that there's no possible way it could be adapted into a film. That seems like a challenge that maybe Donald Kaufman could take on.
1: Corey just, you know, like you said, he makes fun of himself. He likes to challenge himself. So future Charlie Kaufman could be like, oh, yeah? Yeah. um yeah so i think i think we've done it dunks we've we've delved into the mind of charlie kaufman we've come out the other side relatively unscathed yeah we did we did lose a few things along the way but we're alive we're we're smiling we're laughing (laughs) (laughs) that's that's a pretty good blurb (sighs) go
0: yeah watching i think what is eight or nine charlie kaufman films over the
1: course of two weeks it did It did a little little number on me, but, you know, especially. Probably not advisable for your health of any variety, spiritual, emotional, mental,
0: physical. We are the suffering martyrs bleeding for this art, so you don't
1: have to. Eight or nine Kaufman films in a row is not advised. Surgeon General's warning. (laughs) I will say the older I get, the more I appreciate. um, I feel like Kaufman's existential films, because I feel like What he's trying to do is express the inexpressible because life leaves no other recourse and yet we feel that burning to try to make sense of it. And I think that his films, I think just resonate with me more. Uh, I remember watching a number of these probably like a decade ago around college, right out of college. And I enjoyed them, but I didn't find them nearly as compelling, I would say, as I do now. So I really enjoy his stuff. I'm really glad he went big with I'm Thinking of Ending Things. I'm hoping for it. He's got a couple more synecdoches and I'm thinking of ending things in him. I definitely enjoy his work better when he is the director and the writer.
0: Well, it looks like we have pretty much the same films in our top fives, just in different orders. Top five, Charlie, run them through. Number five. I got being John Malkovich, you know, seeing it as a kid, uh, fun film, seeing it now, still a fun film, still hilarious, just a little more depth. Number four. Even though I'm down a few fingers, I'm, gonna put, I'm thinking of ending things on there. Number three, the only one not on your list, I got Adaptation. I just think the stream of conscious depressive rambles, which we'll get into more later, was just too good for me. Uh, number
1: two, Eternal Sunshine. And number one, Synecdoche, New York. Charlie Kaufman, top five. Uh, Anomalies is number five. Uh, For The Conceit, I really enjoyed that. Eternal Sunshine, number four for me. Then you got Bean John Malkovich. And then the one and two spot, you got number two, I'm thinking of ending things, number one, Synecdoche. So, Dunks, what else are you getting into? Uh, What are you doing to wash down old Charlie Kaufman? Oh, I've been going all over the British
0: Empire. So, first of all, I did the uh, experimental Bell End trip. That's for our British fans out there. Uh, seeing some wangs in Derek German's The Last of England was doing this to get ready for the Tilda Swinton episode we got coming up next. If you like erotica in abandoned buildings with lots of flares and paramilitary, <laughs> basically if you grew up watching 120 Minutes or Headbangers Ball on MTV in the 90s, you'll find this film interesting. Pretty much all visual. And then A Field in England We're doing psychedelic, cosmic, occult rituals in a field in England, and I'm all on board. I love that. Ryan, have you seen any Scottish erotic thrillers before? You know, I think that's a genre that's eluded me. Yeah. So I watched Young Adam, which has our Scottish heavyweights, Tilda Swinton, Ewan McGregor, and Peter Mullen rounding out the cast. If you like sweaty, hairy, dirty sex, and I mean truly <laughs> dirty as in we're covered in coal dust and doing it in the dirt under a truck, this is for you. This is, you know, post-World War II literature where you're just a nihilist roaming the wanderer, basically a beat poet gone bad, young Adam.
1: Doug, do you have a way with uh with <laughs> selling these films? <laughs> <laughs> You're just a nihilist looking for somebody to roll around in the cold dust with you under a wagon in the filth.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was interesting. The opposite end of the British Empire. I went to India and I watched Gandhi. Did you know that um, Ben Kingsley's birth name is Krishna Pandit Banji? No, I did not. This was the first film I tried to see in theaters because I broke through my mother's womb while she was watching the film.
1: So, so good, yeah. so good. You wanted to, you wanted to get, lay eyes on it. You're like, oh, oh this is like an Oscar-worthy performance.
0: I'm hearing the vibrations. I got to see the sights of this epic. So yes, watched Gandhi. Um, I think the first time I've ever seen it. Truly an epic. Um, but then also the other film, Salam Bombay. This was directed by Mira Nair, who is also, I think, known for Monsoon Wedding and Mississippi Masala. She deals with Indian and Indian-American culture. But yeah, this film was about street kids in Bombay, and somehow it was not an exploitation, even though we're stabbing pimps, smoking heroin in graveyards. Somehow it wasn't exploitation. So I would like to go go deeper on that. Was at it some like point.
1: Bollywood produced, or is this Hollywood?
0: No, no, no. So she, uh, Miranair, was raised in India, I think around Delhi, and, and then, then went to Harvard for her education, and then came back in her late twenties and. Yeah, just had a few few friends and made this film on the cheap. And last one, Killer of Sheep. This is a man named Charles Burnett. He has won like genius grants. He has two or three films in the National Film Registry. He's just basically showing, you know, slices of life of where he grew up. I certainly haven't seen anything else like it. So it's interesting for that standpoint alone. And let's end with comedy. Let's give the kids a reason to laugh. So my comedy TV show recommendation, also on Netflix, I think you should leave. This is in the Dark Charlie reference. We have baby pageants that involve snipers and <laughs> sleeping with judges and an in-memoriam at the end. I think you should leave starring Tim Robinson. Highly recommended.
1: So While Duncan is out on the fringes, just running laps, uh, my stuff is a little more <laughs> tame. So, Ash is the Purest White. It's directed by Jia Zhangke. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, it's kind of painting people's lives against the greater movement of time uh, and how time waits for no one and how we can get swept aside. What do we do when a world forgets us, which it inevitably will, before we forget it kind of thing. I enjoyed it rewatched Isle of Dogs because I had not seen it since theaters and uh, so I couldn't resist and you know, Isle of Dogs, Wes Anderson, but um, stop motion animation, that canvas, that medium really allows him to paint the worlds that he wants to paint so meticulously so beautifully, so funny Um, so I I appreciate that and then I started delving into old Fargo season four. Chris Rock, Jason Schwartzman Uh, I'm only two episodes deep but so far, season season one's still the best. I've only seen season two, and that was some of the best television I've seen. Season two is really good. I think I like season one slightly better only because of Martin Friedman's performance. But season one and two are hands down the best. Season four seems like another step down so far. Uh, Jason Schwartzman's just, you know, he's hamming it up as an Italian, and it doesn't quite land sometimes. <laughs> I love Jason <laughs> Schwartzman, but you need, like, Alex Ross Perry or you know, Wes Anderson, or you need somebody to, to, to really rein him in and bridle that eccentric quality.
0: Coming up next week, we're either going through the best of Tilda Swinton. She's got too much great stuff. So we'll be featuring four Tilda Swinton films, one from each decade of her career. Um, Cause she's turning 60 in November. She's yeah. an a- ageless, genderless goddess.
1: <laughs> so true yeah i uh, love tilda swinton she's so good i definitely kind of jumped on the tilda train in the 2000s so i think i didn't i didn't truly
0: love tilda until she let that freak flag fly in snow piercer seeing her sloppily eat sushi with those dentures i was like you
1: are my new love and joy miss tilda yeah i think the first leading role that i saw her in was we need to talk about kevin and uh, now she's just fun to always see. Anytime I see Tilda is in a movie, it's a selling point.
0: Yeah, very fascinating career. So we'll we'll go over that. Um, another thing I was watching recently was um, the Masterclass episodes with Ken Burns. And one thing he says is, if you bring an audience down, you know whether it's with Civil War, Vietnam War, racism, whatever dark subject he's going with, you should offer them a little bit of hope at the end. So we're going to try to do that. With uh, mental health, we'll talk about some of our own stuff. So as you may have been able to tell of Ryan's uh, and I's ability to laugh in the face of bleak darkness is because we've spent some time in our own little uh, dark mental landscapes. So, I mean, that was one interesting thing is, is revisiting, uh, you know, the films like Being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, you know, was certainly in... Young, angsty, dark, fatalistic mindsets And to see how differently they look now You know, I was growing up uh, Listening to some of the music Nirvana, I think, was the first rock band I ever liked So certainly some dark thoughts there But they also had a very light and silly side But I mean, it's so like I'll just name some of the albums I was listening to Shaihu Lud, solely concentrating on the negative aspects of life Adamantium, From the Depths of Depression uh yeah, you know, favorite films were probably like Fight Club and Taxi Driver. So,
1: yeah, that that dark <laughs> that
0: dark brooding going on there.
1: But it's a lot of brooding. That's a it's a potent brew.
0: A li- <laughs> no milk, no sugar, a pure cold black brew right there. <sighs> Some strong coffee. One of the turning points in depression we were mentioning it up. I was talking about adaptation and we both love this show peep show this. Once you see your own dark thoughts reflected back to you, you can't help but laugh at how sort of self-centered some of this depression is. And it's just so much easier to laugh it away than soak in it.
1: Yeah. I mean, peep show is is just classic. It takes all of the inner dialogues that so many of us have and you'll see it then, Portrayed in the most absurd ways, we just realize how ridiculous you are and everyone else is for taking ourselves so seriously all the time. Sometimes it's a British show; it'll take the piss out of you. Um, Olivia also Coleman's like, in it too, before she was Olivia Coleman, Oscar winner for *The Favorite*. So there's yeah. a there's a selling point. Yeah, is it Sophie? Is she Soph? Oh, she's Soph.
0: And also, like other music, I have listen, been listening to Morrissey. I mean, everyone, you know, considers him like the Pope of Mope, the most depressing man out there <laughs> in the world. But there is such like a flip, flippitness satirizing his own depression. But yeah, so that leads me to things that have also helped me with depression. If you're having a hard way to go getting stuck in your own head, check out Cognitive Behavioral Therapy and Cognitive Distortions. There, I mean, there's a cheap book you can get. Feel good. Very cheesy title. But David Burns, it just helps you observe your own thinking, whether you're you're overgeneralizing, disqualifying anything positive in your own life, magnification, you know, thinking the world's going to end, making must-or-should statements, beating yourself up for everything you should do, catastrophizing, thinking the world's going to end, which is very easy to do right now. (laughs) Yeah, check that out on Wikipedia if that thing makes sense, just observing your own thoughts, cognitive distortions. Uh, that'll help you calm down. Headspace has a free version, helps you meditate. I promise this isn't cheesy. And also, as you've probably heard on every other podcast you listen to, BetterHelp Therapy. They're not a sponsor of the show, would love it if they were. I'm not only a spokesman, unofficially, I've also used that. So, I mean, just, you know, none of these are miracle cure-all. You still got to be Sisyphus and push that emotional burden <laughs> up the hill but it'll get lighter if you, if you get a little
1: help. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I think we all struggle with these things more than we like to talk about. Uh, you know, I have struggled with depression in the past. One of the things that I think has been most helpful in my life has been A, other people. I think we all need help. Uh, we all need each other. I think I was able to lean on those people. Um, I had a buddy who told me uh, once in a farewell letter He said, hug each other often because Lord knows we need the contact. And I think if we uh, just realize we need the contact, we need the support, that's what uh, we're here for. And then the other thing is just uh, your feelings aren't your truth makers. Feelings are helpful. They're signposts. Um, They're not necessarily to be mistrusted, but they're not to be completely trusted. And they're not your truth maker. And often feelings lie to you or feelings uh you know like you were saying catastrophize or overgeneralize or disqualify the positive and just learning to weather feelings as opposed to fix them or as opposed to just believe them i think weathering feelings has has been helpful so yeah all really good stuff i think it's good to shed light on it good to talk about it um yeah and just learn to to laugh uh to laugh at yourself a little bit chuckle <laughs> at Anything the else? pathetic mess that you are <laughs> i mean why do you think duncan and i like each other so much we just laugh at each other and how ridiculous we are we see the worst in each other and love it like no duncan you should be putting protein powder in your raisin bran have Uh, some self-respect
0: no ryan i've accepted myself for who i am
1: (laughs) all right well i think that i think that's it dunks i think until
0: next time we just put our heart on the line for you come back next time Tilda will let her freak flag fly for you Alright, if you've had a good time Potting with the boys uh, Go on, check out HardlyTheHottest.com And those will give you a list of all the ways That you can keep in touch with us Because we would love to touch you
1: <laughs> You can't say that I'll give you fucking magic, you man
0: Magic? It's hardly the hottest to in town, darling yeah. What is the next one?